Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Charlie is not here today, but I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Andrew Coppins, host of Critical Thinking and a new podcast out there called Reviving Liberty. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Doing pretty good so far. You know, I, I will comp- let me just complain about random personal things real fast. The air conditioning in my house went out last night, and um, it was about 80 when I woke up there this morning, and I normally keep it at like 68. So I'm doing okay, except for the fact that it's going to take like two days for people to even come out there and look at it. But anyway, I, I should complain before we record. I'll I'll keep that in mind for later. Hey, I had we had the same experience here. Uh, the AC in our building went out, and uh, it did so overnight, uh, two nights ago. So it was like, oh, surprise! <laughs> You're waking up and it's 75 degrees in your house. What, what's going on here? All of a sudden, I woke up caring about climate change. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I'm a, they should spend whatever oh, amount of money they want to. For sure. So uh, tell everyone just a little bit about yourself. You know, I've been on your show before and uh, and that was fun. It's been maybe a month ago or a little more than that now. Um, so tell everyone about yourself and what Reviving Liberty is all about. Yeah, so um, I live here in Chicago, but uh, born and raised in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, I, I like to tell people I, I'm one of those weird kids who kind of was active politically or at least like aware of the news growing up, um, you know, got involved in um, looking at the the 92 election. Ross Perot kind of dipped the toe into more of a liberty mindset. And um, really, I think politically, you know, leaned much more conservative through, I would say, the first part of the Bush administration. And as I got a little bit older, um, started leaning more libertarian, and um, I still hold some personally conservative viewpoints, um, but overall, I would say I'm much more libertarian than anything else. Um, I host a daily show, Critical Thinking, uh, with Pat Oni, and then uh, we started reviving liberty as um, something that we had really kind of talked about at the beginning of 2021, and it kind of centered around just a simple conversation that Pat and I had, my co-host on, on Critical Thinking, um, and it was do we even as a country understand what liberty is and is it something that we're interested in fighting for? And that's kind of been the, the crux or the, the Tinder, if you will, to, uh, to building this podcast. So have you found it difficult to uh, describe what liberty is in the first place? I mean, people have asked me that before online. It's, uh, to me, it, it, it's kind of a difficult thing to describe to people. But another thing now is we all have completely different definitions of what liberty even is in the first place. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. It is, it is not an easily definable thing because it can mean different things to different people. And, and I highlight that um, right up front in the podcast, uh, the first couple of episodes, I really dedicate to defining what we mean by liberty, defining what we mean by revival. And it is as simple as that. We don't even know what revival means. Um, Marion Webster changed the definition, by the way, of revival um, like two months ago. It, the the definition I was using as I started to write and research this podcast changed. I went back and looked at it and what? But uh, we used the, the, the definition of revival to make something active again. Um, that's what we talk about when we talk about revival. We're not talking about nostalgia. We're not talking about uh, everything the founding fathers did was great, grand, and wonderful, super fantastic, and and we just have to go back to living that. No, um, liberty and revival is about making something that was active active again. And liberty is a in the moment and in the future. Uh, type of a deal. Uh, you you can't just look to the past. You have to understand where it was, what it is, and how it can apply to you now and into the future. And that's really where we're going with this. So before we get into some of the uh, some of the specific parts, because I did listen through what you've put out so far. Now you said it's going to be twenty two episodes. Is that is that right? 
Yeah, it's gonna be twenty-two episodes, I believe. Correct. Okay. Okay. And there, I think there's five or six out there right now, something around that number. I don't know if that's including the intro to the whole thing, um, mm-hmm. but five or six. And so I listened through and and of course took some notes down and everything on stuff I wanted to ask about. But before we get into all that, what is you think? What's the big problem that we're trying to solve here? And how does doing this how how does this solve that problem? Uh, laying this out in steps like this, uh, you know, how is that going to work to solve that problem? Well, I think the biggest problem is that we have every corner of our society that is antithetical to liberty. We have our culture, right? Whether that's movies, music, whatever you might want to talk about there. You've got academia. You've got your political world. You've got every corner that is antithetical to liberty right now. Um, You can talk about Donald Trump and some of his authoritarian stuff, Ron DeSantis and some of his authoritarian leanings. Everywhere you look, you see authoritarianism. um, you, You see socialism becoming even a thing that a growing number of people who identify as younger and uh, GOP leaning talking about socialism being preferable to capitalism. And so uh, the problem that we looked at trying to solve is literally, do we know what liberty is and, and do we still believe in that social compact? Um, Because if we don't, okay, then let's go our separate ways. But if we do, we have to dedicate ourselves to to doing it for ourselves. Nobody else is going to do it. Um, and that is the thing that I harp on the most in almost every episode is that it is a you before it's a we. You have to do this for yourself, and then things can change if you want to affect that change. Yeah, I was going to ask about whether or not this was a top-down politics down through the culture type idea or culture flowing up to the political realm idea. Yeah, I think it is 100% culture um, changing how we look at academia, changing how we look at all of these things. But most importantly, it is, I think the most libertarian thing that you can do is to focus on yourself and dedicate yourself to being intentional in focusing in on what you can do for yourself, for your family, um, for your neighborhood, for your HOA, however you want to put it, uh, going up. That, that food chain of culture and society. But but if you don't know what it is and you can't dedicate yourself to it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the top says what it's, it's always going to say. You know, you know I always say the GOP, it, it hates its base. It, it, it always seems to vote against it, always seems to do something that's antithetical to what the base would want, even when it has all the power. Um, and so you have to be the person that understands it, that lives it, and can be kind of that that beacon or that guidepost for other people to see it and see it in action within your own life. But if you focus on yourself first, doesn't that just mean that you're selfish? I heard that was a bad thing uh, one time. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between getting yourself right and understanding what what is right and wrong for yourself and being selfish, right? Um, and and I I love that argument. Uh, Individualism for me is not about a shirking of responsibility. That for me is a libertine society and a libertine um, viewpoint. And that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking on focusing about or focusing on yourself and bettering yourself so that society can be better. But it's also a focus on your responsibility. Everybody has a responsibility to go with their rights and their focus on themselves. And I think the core of libertarianism and the core of liberty is understanding that we all have individual rights, We all, have, but we also have individual responsibilities. And when our individual rights or the exercise of them flouts or, or puts away or does something bad to other people's individual rights, that's when you've got a problem. Yeah, so you want to focus on yourself, but uh, not work on yourself to the detriment of others or to the direct detriment of others and removing their ability to work on themselves in the process at the same time. Hey, I'm an, I'm an Ayn Rand libertarian, so I, the word even the word selfish is not going to bother me at all. But of course, we've all got different definitions 
Uh, starting with, uh, I think it was in maybe the first episode there, you talked about the Founding Fathers, and you said something that I ended up writing down because I thought it was really good. You said that they weren't the most popular, they were the most active, and that they were also radicals. And so that brings me into a little bit of conversations we're having in the Libertarian Party these days about whether or not we're going to be pragmatic or radical or anything. And, and so what do you think the value of being a, a radical these days would be. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. I do a lot of things to take care of my mind. For a while there, it wasn't something that I ever thought about. I thought I could just go through life and not ever think about my mental health, whether or not I was too stressed out, whether or not I was burnt out, whether or not there were things that I could actually solve. But if you think about it, you're only going to get this one mind, this one brain, and you should really take good care of it in the same way that you would take care of your car if you were going to have to use it for the rest of your life. Don't waste any of your time being upset, angry, depressed, anxious, burnout, stressed out when there could be something you could do to actually fix it. There's a lot of things you can do, by the way. You could take some naps if you want to. You can take some time off, take a vacation. But there's also better help online therapy. So therapy is something I've done. Charlie uses BetterHelp still. He's been using it for over a year now. So if there's something that you need to talk to someone about, you could use BetterHelp. Now BetterHelp is an online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on the camera if you don't want to. It's a lot more affordable than in-person therapy. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours and our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash GML. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. Yeah, you know, it kind of dovetails into the first step that I talk about, which is rooting yourself in God. And that's a very radical thing today. It really is, even in the libertarian movement, suggesting that rooting yourself in God is, is where natural rights come from, is where all of these things that libertarians love to talk about, where do they come from? That That's the root of it all. And I'm not suggesting that you have to believe, but I am suggesting that you have to understand natural rights and where they come from. Um, and, and what I talk about being a radical is being okay being different. It's just that simple. Um you don't like the culture, you don't like the politics, you don't like where society is going, you are the radical. You are the counterculture. You are those things. And uh, you need to be comfortable in that. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later down uh, down the episodes, as as we like to say. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm famous for talking about the, the moment in The Chosen. Um, there's a moment where Jesus Christ is talking to uh, Peter, as Matthew comes out of the tax, tax collector's booth and joins um, and becomes one of the apostles. And he turns to Peter and says, get used to different. And that that's the crux of being a radical is you got to get used to being different. You have to get used to living differently and being okay with it. Um, you have to be okay. The, our founding fathers were okay. These are the lessons we can take, right? They were okay being different. They were okay being a radical. They were okay openly talking about it. And then they affected the change, probably the biggest change in Western civilization since the, the time of the, the Roman Republic. Um, while we're talking about this on this subject, you talk about morality and natural rights and things being rooted in God. And, and so how do you connect all those together? Is, is morality something do you think that, that comes from God or is that something that we can have uh, without a religious society? You know, I, I really... This was one of the things like, do we go down this route? Uh, because I know that some libertarians, there are lots of different sects, if you will, within the libertarian movement. But at the end of the day, what I came down to is where does uh, a universal morality come from? Right? How do we know that murder is bad? How do we know that you know stealing from your neighbor is bad? How do we know these things that that we hold as almost core principles of libertarianism to be bad? How do we know that there's good and bad? And it comes down to natural rights, and natural rights come from natural law. You know, you, you can talk about uh, Thomas Paine and John Locke and and all these people. Where did they get their ideas from? 
their ideas came from St. Thomas Aquinas. Who did St. Thomas Aquinas get these ideas from, right? So you keep going down and down and down. At the end of the day, even if you don't believe in God or Jesus Christ or or whatever, you the recognition that these things exist because they're natural, because they are the state of being, that these are the right and just things, that, that's where they come from. You can yeah, recognize that's the, that that's where they come from without having to believe is kind of where I come from, from the perspective of, of getting around the, I don't believe in God and how dare you shove God down my throat. I'm not shoving God down your throat. I'm just asking you to recognize that. That's the question I wanted to ask because so many libertarians are atheist or agnostic or, or whatever, <clears throat> whatever we call it. Uh, you know, so if I don't believe in God, then I guess the morality part doesn't matter because if that's where morality comes from and I don't believe in God, then there is no morality and I can do whatever I want. Uh, or it is just a natural law and people who were religious and believed in God, they realize this and we point to people through history who realize that this was a natural law, uh, but maybe that existed the whole time uh, with or without the, relig the religious aspect. Oh, yeah, I'm just trying I, to talk to some of the libertarians who maybe the God conversation would just throw them completely off, you know. Right, and that's definitely something that that I recognize, and I think I tried to deal with that in that episode, right? Like, okay, I can recognize that you don't have to have that belief system, but if you root yourself in those natural laws and the, the natural rights that our founding fathers had, it's still a recognition that they came from somewhere. They didn't just make these things up. And that's part of um, the research in, in all of this is that these weren't new ideas to our founding fathers. These were ideas that were around for over 100 years, in some cases, three, 400 years. If you look back to St. Thomas Aquinas, right, and, and some of the, the people of his age, these are, these are ideas that were almost universally known um, to be something that that you could talk about at that time in the 1760s, 1750s, when these when these things started to happen, these were these were known concepts. These weren't radical ideologies. These were known things. One other thing that you talked about, uh, which we've talked about quite a bit before in the past, is as people, as say the percentage of people that believe in God or are religious, as that has declined, it also seems that uh, things have gotten worse as far as our culture and our society. Now, obviously life is better now for people who live right now than it was a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, it's better. So we gotta keep that in perspective, but it seems like our culture is degrading a bit and that's also tracking with the amount of people who uh, affiliate with some religion or go to church regularly. What do you think's going on there? Yeah, it's something that I have been focusing in on and, and looking at when it comes to critical thinking because <laughs> I am I am deeply rooted in data analysis, right? That, that's kind of kind of the path that I took um, prior to getting into real estate and some of the things I'm doing now. Um, but um, I'm famous for correlation doesn't mean causation, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that those things are necessarily together, but it's hard to ignore it. Um, as we have seen um, the amount of people who go to church or identify as church going and all of these things, as we see that, it is less of a rooting in morality, period. And whether you believe that is going to church or not, it is just simply we believe largely in a live and let live society today. And live and let live, and that's my problem with the libertine part of libertarian um beliefs is that as you go ahead and try that once go ahead and live and let live except for your live and let live is different than mine and how do you not trample on my rights in order to live and let live on your own and if you want to do that that that's fine but there's also a recognition of if you do that more broadly um if you think that society will be able to not eat itself i think it's a false uh, it's, it's a absolute false thought process I don't go down the road necessarily of anarchism or libertine society um, because I do believe that guideposts have to exist. Um, I do believe that basics have to exist. And without it, we're seeing what's going on today. You really do see a lot of that that loss, whether that's 
through the loss of fatherlessness or religious uh, belief systems or whatever you want to attribute it to, it is undeniable that culturally, that socially, we are going through a period of pretty dark, dark times. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting pretty rough out there. And even as a libertarian who may even be on the live and let live side of things, uh, now it's degrading to the point where we're talking about children and people who uh, can't really make long term decisions for themselves. And that's where even me as a libertarian, I'm jumping in and saying, hey, um, this is a violation of someone's liberty right now. Uh, this this can't just be allowed to happen. And that's a weird place for a libertarian who just wants people to live their own lives and I'll live mine. That's a weird place to go uh, as that person where I start thinking about, should the government come in and stop this from happening? Well, yeah, I think we've seen some cases where the government is necessary to come in and protect the rights of children, even if they don't know they're being violated right now. I mean, it's scary stuff out there we're seeing. It's pretty gross. Honestly, I don't have kids and and mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of, I'm okay with that right now because man, it's tough out there. Yeah, hundred percent tough. And, and to your point, I mean, you, you kind of brought up the, um, does government need to step in and protect the rights? That's literally what our government was supposed to be set up to do, protect our rights our natural rights and any government that doesn't is not healthy. And right now I don't know if if our government is healthy. I don't know if our society is healthy and, and it's almost like we have to break down to the basics. And that's why I wanted to go through that introduction of what Liberty is, what we mean by revival so that everybody understands. These are the terms that I believe. This is what I believe. You can believe something different. That's fine. Um, But at the end of the day, um, a recognition that something is wrong um and that rights are not being protected is uh is where i kind of draw the line to your point too with libertarianism it's hey this is this is literally what government was supposed to be about and and, and we've gone down a completely different dark road over the last 100 years um so we'll see what happens here but uh hopefully people are picking up what i'm putting down and and um yeah we'll you know hopefully create a movement and and people will uh See what goes on. How do we get back to a government that is going to be protecting natural rights or negative rights instead of what it seems to be doing for quite a long time now, which is protecting positive rights or rights that must someone else must take an action to provide that right to you? And now we've shifted to a lot of these positive rights are becoming as if they are natural rights and and negative rights and those are what the government wants to protect and it actually is starting to ignore the original natural rights that we were supposed to have Um, i mean when we talk about rights right now and say there's someone on the left that's listening to this and they say yeah i want to protect rights too of course i I care about people's rights that's what i want to do but we've got a completely different definition of what rights are we've got a completely different viewpoint here of what rights are and how do we bridge that gap it, that is a very good question because um, I, I bring up uh, an article in, I think it's from National Affairs in 2014. Carl Eric Scott breaks it down really great. He believes that there are kind of five different versions of liberty, right? Some people could believe in economic liberty. Some believe in personal liberty. You might say that's more libertine. We can argue about that. But um, these different things, and he brings up progressive rights, right? He brings up this idea that the government should be there to protect uh you know, progressive rights. And, and I think it's interesting. I think I just wholeheartedly object to this concept of, of, um, of progressive liberty, if you will, this idea that the government should be there to protect everything and everyone from everyone else. And that the government exists to make sure that, that we can live the best life possible. I just reject that out of hand. I don't think there's anything that um, that social justice and, and coming from a Catholic perspective, right? So I am Catholic, and I I grew up with the term social justice. What what social justice exists as today? It social justice was meant for you and I to decide how we want to treat each other and and the things that we want to focus in on. You know, it's why food kitchens and soup kitchens and you know schools and 
whatever you have from the Catholic faith. Um, that's why those exist, right? We believe in that, but we believe in us doing that out of our hearts, not because government is going to dictate to us that we have to do it. And I would look at it from the from the perspective of, do you believe in progressive rights or do you believe in natural rights? And if you believe in progressive rights, we're talking about two different things. Yeah, I mean, one uh, we've always said, and a lot of other people, of course, have said it, that you can't have a right to something that must be provided to you by another person. That means you have a right to that person's time and labor and service. And I can't I can't possibly have a right to something that someone else has to take an action to give to me. Now, I have a right for them to not take an action to remove liberties away from me, to remove rights away from me. I've got that one, but I can't force them to go do something today so I can have it. I, that, that, to me, that's so simple, but it, I guess it really isn't these days. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I would ask those types of people, do you believe that um, as we know more about natural science or economics or we learn more things about technology, right, um, do you believe that it is the job of our political leaders to apply those things um, to improve society? If you believe that, I would argue you don't actually believe in liberty. You believe in the government telling you what your rights are. For me, government is antithetical to rights. It is set up to try to be the guidepost to rights, but it cannot give me my rights. So, so I don't know a, if there's a bridge, right? I don't know if there's a bridge. That's the thing. That That is the thing. I don't know how, just to be, I guess, negative here for a minute, um, we're saying we don't know if there is a bridge. What does that mean? How do we... How are we going to solve this? How are we going to live peacefully? How are we going to take care of the tyrannical state if we can't have this conversation and come to an agreement with one another? Like, is this actually possible? It's a question that I I honestly, <laughs> and I'm sure you guys do this too, every day we deal with this, right? Mm -hmm. Every day. I don't know what this looks like. I, we're heading down a dark path. Um, we're heading down something that we haven't seen in what is the ideal of America, right? And and the things that we agreed upon, and, and I kind of term it this way. We agreed to the sandbox of the Constitution, and there was a great um, man-on-the-street-type uh, interview about a week and a half ago, maybe a week ago at this point, where uh, they asked this person about the Constitution and Roe versus Wade, and she literally just said into the camera, I don't care about the Constitution. It doesn't matter to me. On one hand, bravo. I applaud you for saying what you really believe. On the other hand, can I live in a society in which you don't agree to the same set of rules that I do as a social contract, right? We don't have that contract anymore. If if one of us is playing by the rules and the other is... I, I, I think it's tough because we've heard... Basically, we've heard so long all these things that need to pretty much denigrate all the people who created the Constitution. Why would you care about the Constitution when it was written by a bunch of slaveholders, terrible people who didn't give women rights and, and were enslaving people, and so therefore everything that they said uh, was terrible... And I think that that's a ridiculous idea. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater in that scenario, although someone on the left might be okay with that. But anyway, they, they <laughs> might be, sorry, crude, terrible <laughs> no, yeah, no, I'm, I hear you. <laughs> so um, I, I think that those ideas still hold true in this idea that the government's going to protect those rights. But, um, you know, it is, it, I guess it is kind of unique for us to have this document from uh, the 17. 80s that we're living by and we have to find all these ways to basically get around it all that the government's job is to find ways to get around that document that's essentially what it is and mm -hmm. um and, and so i can understand if you've only heard terrible things about all these people that wrote this and all the bad things that took place in america this whole time like why do you care what these people had to say about but it's weird they do care when you could use it to your advantage of course that's that's always a tricky situation Mm -hmm. It it really is. And and uh, we talk about that a lot in critical thinking is that the left is great at using the, the tools and levers to, you know, bastardize the Constitution and, and all that. Uh, but when it's uh, actually in use the way it was supposed to be used, look out. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. And that's OK. I, I think I think as libertarians, oftentimes we want to have all the answers. And uh, think that we've thought through everything, but I, I don't know. I mean, we have New Hampshire putting up a, I don't know if you guys have talked about this on the show yet or not, but New Hampshire has put up another resolution to uh, secede from the union. 
and it looks like it has a chance of passing. What what happens, right? Um, I, I oh. you know it, it goes back to the argument. You agreed to enter the union. Do you get a chance to exit the union? How does that work? How you know? I, is that the answer? I, <laughs> I I like it as an idea, but I hate to burst everyone's bubble. All the United States has to do, sure, let them secede. But you know what? Everyone that we trade with is not allowed to trade with New Hampshire, and none of our states are allowed to trade with New Hampshire. And at that point, it is no longer a great idea for New Hampshire to secede from the Union because I doubt they can produce every single thing for their quality of living that they have right now. And that is exactly what they would do in that scenario. And it would squash it immediately at, at that mm-hmm. point. There might be some states that could get away with it. Maybe Texas could handle doing this. I'm not sure New Hampshire would be able to handle doing it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, hate to throw that out there for everyone. I don't want to kill the idea. I love I love the idea. I want us to, I want to secede or break apart or whatever, but... You know what? If we could find a way to treat ourselves as 50 separate states that came together to form a union for the purposes of defense uh, and for the protection of natural rights among the people that are inside of those states, like if we could agree that that's what we are, that we're 50 separate sovereign individual states that have this one group over the top that is supposed to protect the natural rights and also have defense of all of those states. Well, that would be great. But we're about 250 years removed from that idea uh, right now, from from when that was actually taking place. It's only been downhill since there. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, we went from the Articles of Confederation to to this. I, I you know, I just don't know how you uh, how you go down down the constitutional road and 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 get back to almost an articles of confederation type of a society. It, it didn't work back then. I would argue it has a better chance of working today than it did back then because of technology, because of the changes in our society um, in terms of, of that side of things. I just, yeah, like I said, I don't know what the answer is. And is it uh, kind of congregating within States or within places that kind of have the values that you want and and we live and let live when it comes to that i don't know but the, the problem that i have with that idea too is the states that don't live and let live right don't believe in the liberty-based values they're because they're antithetical would look to swallow you up either do what you are told or go away Right. Um, so I, I really struggle to think of what a national divorce really can look like uh, without something getting really ugly really fast. Well, folks, we just got some big news from our friend Mikkel Thurup over at expatmoney.com, and that's that they have confirmed the one and only Dr. Ron Paul for the Expat Money Summit. That is the online free Expat Money Summit coming up in November. Of course, the link will be in the show notes. But you are going to learn all kinds of stuff from 30 experts, including Ron Paul. Everything from how to secure your own Plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, to centralized finance, to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, stuff about gold and silver and other precious metals, of course, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe. And by the way, we just had Mikkel on episode 757 not too long ago, talking about all the great things that they are showing people over at expatmoney.com. And of course, there's the Expat Money Show, the podcast on all of your podcast apps. We will put a link to that in the show notes as well. You can go listen to that with tons of great interviews and content constantly streaming out from Mikkel. So once again, register now for free. That's the expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what's happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register now for free. That's expatmoneysummit.com. And go listen to The Expat Money Show on all of your podcast apps. Yeah, and if we're going to try and solve this problem, one thing I wanted to ask about was where you think this started. Because we have this problem, and I think a lot of it stems from our culture, and this has gone out into the government. So 
then we have to look at, okay, if we have this cultural problem, well, what is it that went wrong? Because by talking about this problem, we're saying that something went wrong and something else should have happened instead of that. Uh, maybe it was because of the government. Maybe it's a natural progression of human beings that have, uh, that have freedom or that have a, a vibrant economy. Maybe that just typically degrades over time. I don't know. But where, where do you think this all started? So I think it's actually twofold. And I think you hit part of what are what I would believe is the problem um, is that when we look at um, the degrading of our society, I think it comes from liberty is not the natural state of man. Um, liberty is something that has to be active, that you have to fight for, that you have to live out, that you have to intentionally do. And that's the key to the founding fathers and why they're important even today, is because they show us the blueprint of being active in in every day, intentionally looking at liberty and practicing it and, and using it in their own lives. But the natural state of man is actually oppression. The natural the natural state of man is somebody else does it for me, right? Um, that's why the Roman Republic. That's why the the Greek uh, democracy of the ancient times and our democracy today, our version of it today, is so different. It stands out. Why we're different is because we are different to that. Um, and I feel like over the past, you know, 250 or, or so, we have gotten away from this idea that we have to be active with liberty. Um, we believe that it's just going to exist because these guideposts exist. And that's not true. The other part of this is I think that as we have gone over the last hundred years, um, I think we have turned to a society in which we believe that experts always have the answer and that man is perfectible. Um, and, and part of that is because there's this growing movement that science is the science, right? And that uh, everything has to... No, science doesn't have all the answers. It really doesn't. And humanity is not perfectible. Humans are not perfect. They never will be. Could we achieve um, more perfect union with each other perhaps could we achieve better enlightenment through technology and understanding of our own humanity perhaps but i always say this there's only one perfect human being that i know of that existed in this world and that was god or jesus christ if you want to believe that he is the the son of god that's it we're not that we're not those people right we're not god certainly we're not jesus christ mm. Um, as I look at it from the Catholic perspective, you cannot achieve perfection here. Perfection exists if you believe, right? If you believe in in the Christian faiths, um, it is only achieved after your death. So, <laughs> well, there are what are we uh, doing? There are instances of people trying to achieve perfect uh, humanity, and you could say uh, Mao and Stalin and. And Hitler, I know we just lost the argument because I mentioned Hitler, but uh, all these people <laughs> wanted to uh, create a perfect society, of course. All the people who didn't believe what they believed, they just needed to be gotten rid of. And it, it typically turned out pretty terrible. I don't know if anyone read the news lately, but I heard it went it went pretty bad. And and so that's definitely not, not the way that we want to go. Um, I just wonder, I wonder if we just have to set up that incentive if there's a way to set up the incentive structure where we gravitate towards fighting for liberty where we gravitate towards having a better culture like what because we don't want to direct it to me i don't want the government to come down from on high and say this is the way people should live mm -hmm. unless you're unless you're removing liberties from other people the government can can have punishment for doing that but this is the way that we want to live this is the way that the kids should go <clears throat> perfectly throughout life and here's every single book and everything they should read like i don't want all that how do we have that pop up without having the government do it from the top um it's actually an upcoming episode that uh that i'm going to talk about here um but it is uh forming fellowships and not coalitions too often in society we see coalitions exist right like so somebody might be pro-life but they don't believe in economic liberty or somebody might you know, have have one thing that you have in common and it's they're antithetical to you and everything else. Coalitions are useful tools, right? If you can coalesce around one issue and, and 
get that over to the finish line, great. Your your viewpoints or your guides or your principles are winning, right? But that's the 1%. The other 99% you don't like, right? Well, then that's not that's not useful. That is useful for one thing and one thing only. We have to start forming fellowships in our society. And again, you can look backwards to understand your future. And what to do, what were the Sons of Liberty if not a fellowship? They didn't all agree, by the way, right? That's how we got the Federalist Papers. That's how we went from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution, right? They didn't all agree on every single lockstep issue, but they all agreed on the basic principles. Uh, they 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 agreed in natural rights. They agreed uh, self-government was a good thing. They agreed uh, that economic autonomy was a good thing. They agreed uh, that personal freedom was a good thing. Um, they agreed on self-governance and all those things. They also disagreed on what version of self-governance should exist, by the way, but they agreed on the basics. And you saw what they could do when they agreed on the principles and agreed to be a fellowship and put aside the small petty stuff for the big goals. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And too often, I think the libertarian movement loves the perfection instead of the good. You're speaking my language right now. This has been one of my main critiques of libertarians and the libertarian party uh, for as long as we've had this podcast. I've been talking about the perfect being the enemy, the enemy of the good. And I always say... We lost our liberties one step at a time. We're going to have to gain them back one step at a time. It might not be maybe a charter school is not the perfect thing that you want to have, but it's at least some choice. It's another option for people. It's better than just having to go to that public school. It's a step in the right direction. You know, maybe the voucher system is not the perfect thing, but I, we're not just going to vote to end the Department of Education tomorrow. It's, it, it's not <laughs> yeah. going to happen. What we have to do, and I've had this, kind of, this is one where libertarians really won't like me, is it? So I, could we agree that like, we don't like the Fed, right? We don't like the Federal Reserve. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't like the Fed. I think they're terrible. Um, in the Fed, I thought was a really great book. It's a great chant. I think if we ended the Fed, our lives would be absolutely terrible. And we would go through generations of the, some of the worst things that the United States has ever seen because we got pretty accustomed to this bubble that we're in right now. And while it's fun to talk about popping it and getting rid of it, it's not going to be fun to live through it. And so while I, I, I don't think it would be that easy to end the Fed, what I would like to do is render it, render it useless and moot. And I would like to do the same thing with the public schools. Okay, keep your public schools, keep your Fed. We're just going to shift over here. We're going to have this mm -hmm. economy over here. And we're going to have these schools over here. And eventually the evidence is going to be so obvious that all this stuff over here existing in the free market is much better than all the other options. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. With I, th you I, think, but... I think you look at California as a great example. How do they calculate your um, money that goes into the school district, right? They calculate it on a per pupil per day basis. How do you affect change, right? It is one step at a time, and that first step is take your kids out of the system, right? Take them out. You have to make a sacrifice. Oh, my gosh. Uh, welcome to parenthood. Welcome to life. Like, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice. You might not be able to have everything all the time every day. And how do you affect that change? Well, in a state like California where it's tied, where that school district's money, their ability to pay their administrators hundreds of thousands of dollars and all this other stuff – it is literally affected by your student or your child going to that school that day, that week, that month, that year. If you want to, if you take them out of the system, where's the money coming from? Yes, it is your property taxes, but that money cannot go to a school if you do not send your kid to the school. Yeah, that's one step. Another step, maybe might be homeschooling or advocating for what Arizona is doing. Bravo to them, right? They are funding the student, not the system. Love it. Let's see what happens. We don't know if it's going to totally work. Does it need to be tweaked? How how do we do it? It's never really been tried. Um, so we'll see what happens. But take those small steps first. 
And watch what happens when that administrator no longer can, or that school district can no longer afford to pay that administrator $150,000, right? Watch what happens when you take that power back. That, that, I think that's what we have to focus in on is what is the thread that will pull, right? And, and unravel everything else. What is it? And then do it. I uh, we were actually we're going to do a big episode on charter schools today because we've been having some conversations with uh, with friends about that outside of the podcast and it's just so amazing to me making the argument that uh, the money that I pay in towards the school system that I shouldn't be able to say where that goes and take it to an institution that's going to be able to educate my child I can't imagine arguing that that's a bad thing other than arguing to keep this system that we have arguing for the people in that system so the assistant vice co-principal can still make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and if we take away a few students of course we've got to reduce the teacher salary not the assistant vice co-principal uh you know that's that's got their mercedes or anything we can't guarantee people uh, 90% returns every year on their pensions or anything anymore. You know, that's a that's a big problem. Also, uh, we can stop people from being able to choose where their kids go to school and use their tax money where it should go. Uh, it's such a crazy idea to me, but people are people are really dug in on it. Oh, 100% they are. And, it, you know, I could tell you a story off air here, but uh, locally it, it happened um, as we looked at uh, a redevelopment within my neighborhood um, and there happens to be a National Historical Registry, um, old school, all girls Catholic uh, high school that they cannot touch. And the um, the alderman here, uh, former teacher union head, former, you know, all of these other things, wouldn't allow, wouldn't even bring forward to us in the community the multitude of charter schools who wanted to buy that property and keep it as a school. What? <laughs> so so the, the the people who may or may not like the education they're getting within the Chicago public school system, and I'll give you a hint, nobody likes it. Um, <laughs> they don't get a choice. In Some your, of the people in, in the district, really, really wealthy they don't get neighborhoods, a choice. too. The, the, uh, the super wealthy people in Chicago, they like the schooling that they're getting. Of, uh, of course, that's okay. You know, I've got a new argument for people. Um, I think we've been arguing about whether or not charter schools perform better than public schools. The data is pretty mixed depending on how you aggregate all the data, whatever you pick to, to look through, however you choose to do that. Um, but, you know, the problem is charter schools, they get less per student than public schools do. So if there is an issue with charter schools, it's definitely funding. <laughs> they just need more money. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> How progressive of you. How progressive you of you. I just you mean to, to tell that me that spending $15,000 a student in the state of Illinois and it produces zero uh, uh, additional results is, is a bad thing? Weird. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is weird. I mean, you see those charts of the amount of money spent per student and the test scores that have just ran flat the entire uh -huh. time. Yeah, we could do we. I literally my browser tab is twenty different articles and studies about charter schools and public schools this morning. So I'm real hopped up on this idea um, about schools. But we are um, we are getting towards the end here. I just uh, want you to let everyone know about what we didn't cover. What's going to be coming up on here uh, that I didn't get to listen to yet. Yeah, so I, I, first off, it's going to be 10 steps. We're going to walk down 10 steps of reviving liberty. But it's not just steps. There's also some tactics that we need um, to, to look at. And we're actually going to, to look at 10 different tactics. Um, and we talked about a few of them, right? Um, being intentional um, in what you do. Uh, we also talk about being tireless in your pursuits. It, guess what? If you've got a passion passionately go for it. It's cool. Be tireless in that. Um, but also we want to talk about how you can't be serious all the time. Mockery, ridicule, scorn of those that would be antithetical to your viewpoints on liberty. Use it. Use mockery. Use ridicule. Use scorn. And if you haven't picked up on the two of us being able to do that, um, <laughs> that's the point. And then also um, this idea that power is somehow a bad thing. Um, it, it's, it's in how you use it that matters. And, and I talk about meekness in power, power under control is meekness. And, um, 
we see it from the right, we see it from the left too often that um, that that's not the case. We can win with meekness, but it that, that means you're just under control with the power that you are given, whether that's within your own life, within your family, whatever. And then I think the the final um, the final thing is um, support those that are not going to insult you. Uh, support your friends that don't insult you, your family that won't insult you, businesses that won't insult you, and be okay letting go of those that do um, because they're not healthy for you. Mentally, physically, emotionally, that's not healthy, and it's okay. Oh, but my kids won't be able to watch that really cool Disney movie. Is it cool? Well, just because everybody else is saying it, right? Uh, you know, that that horrific Miss Marvel um, <laughs> oh darn! Did I miss anything by not watching it? Now, apparently not. Um, I'm okay. It's okay to support businesses that won't insult you. We're not even saying that they have to have the same viewpoints as you or their same belief system. Just simply don't insult me. Don't tell me that you that you love me and then mock me behind my back. That's all I'm asking. Oh, they just straight up mock you to your face these days. I mean, they don't even have to hide it. That's why, even though I'm uh, very libertarian, I will proudly say I do have a Daily Wire subscription because I think what they're doing is uh, amazing. I, I think that not enough can be said about what they've been able to do. And I hope more people follow suit on that, this whole idea of creating uh, the culture, creating the content, instead of trying to change what other people are doing, uh, just compete in that marketplace. And for free market people like us, that's really what you need to do, compete in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And we talk about the schooling thing where the government creates its own monopoly and stops people from competing in the marketplace. That's an issue that we got to deal with. But in all the other realms where you can compete in the marketplace of ideas, uh, we need to be, we need to be doing that. And, and so mm -hmm. I, I really like this whole thing. You know, when I got the email about it, I was like, wow, that's, that, that's really cool. I like, you know, what we lack right now is a plan. We lack a vision. Uh, we all know these things that we kind of think, but really that just leads us to saying cool stuff on Twitter all the time, which is really going to get the <laughs> right, job right. done, of course. But having some type of a vision, some type of a step-by-step -step process of tactics and actions and ways to live your life and ways to fix things, I mean, that's what it's going to take to get things done. And the people on the left, they've got a plan that they've been executing for quite a long time. We're not just going to get all this back haphazardly without it getting really bad uh, in that case. So I really like what you've done here. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on today. Um, and, and to your point with the, uh, the daily wire, uh, Ripaverse comics is a great example of this too. Mm -hmm. I mean, they sold what 37 some odd thousand copies of a first edition, um, graphic novel that, that hasn't been done in years. That's amazing. Um, you just reminded me that we were supposed to mention that on our White Pill Wednesday yesterday. So I will apologize to everyone. We said we were going to talk about it for White Pill Wednesday and completely forgot to talk about it. So I'm glad you brought that up. That is amazing. Yeah. And it's all about playing offense, right? So that's that's yeah. where I'm at. But I really appreciate your time and, and thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. And make sure uh, everyone who's listening. Oh, tell everyone where they can go to listen to all this stuff or see any of the content. Yeah, they can go to at the Coppin Show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that wonderful goodness. Um, and then, of course, revivingliberty.com. And they can check out Critical Thinking as well as Reviving Liberty wherever you find your podcast or on Rumble, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. All right, Andrew, thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Thanks.